0: Thank you so much, Colby, and uh, praise team, and thank you guys for being here. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being in the Lord's house. If you have your Bible, turn with me. We're going to start, just for a second, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, kind of where we left off last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, then we're going to move around a little bit this morning, and so, uh, man, God is so good, amen, and uh, it's good to have uh, Each and every one of you with us, those who are worshiping with us online, thank you so much for inviting us into your home or wherever you might be this morning, and uh, it's a privilege to open up God's Word with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, notice one verse, kind of where we left off last week, and then we'll move on. The Bible says in verse number 18, in everything give, say that word, in everything give what? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now last week we talked about God's goodness and looked at some biblical examples of those in scripture who actually exhibited uh, gratitude in all types of circumstances. No matter the risk, no matter what was taking place in their life, we saw that these were grateful people and we were encouraged and challenged from God's word to actually Put a little bit of gratitude in our life. And in fact, someone last week said I probably should have named the message An Attitude of Gratitude because I kept on talking about the attitude that we kept on seeing from those in Scripture. And no matter what we face, I would encourage you today, no matter what comes your way, you can give thanks. No matter what comes our way, you can give thanks. Not because the circumstance is good, not because you feel good, not because you may look good, but because God is good, amen? Amen. And so we give him the glory on, and there's so many hard truths when it comes to this idea of gratitude. I'll just be honest with you from the outset, but one of the hard truths is that there are so many barriers, barriers, right? Enemies that seek to keep us from being grateful. Have you ever run up against a barrier when it comes to your gratitude only one well oddly enough here's the here's the fun fact for you oddly enough studies have actually shown there are few things that are more detrimental to our overall health physically not just spiritually and our well-being than a bad attitude and i'll be honest with you i've been there done that and could write a few books on having a bad attitude anybody else In fact, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 7 tells us that as he or as a man or a woman thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you think it or you thunk it, then guess what? That's what you are. You're thinking it in your heart. See, attitudes begin with a mindset, but here's the catch. If you guys throw that verse back up, that portion of the verse... uh, it, the mindset or the attitudes begin in the mindset, but our mindsets actually originate from the heart. Out of the heart, man speaks. Same thing with our thoughts. And so as a man, or as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The opposite of the idea of gratitude is the word ingratitude. And here's what ingratitude means. It's defined by, Webster, uh, by Merriam-Webster as this. The failure, now watch it, the failure or Refusal, watch that word refusal, to acknowledge receipt of something good from another, the forgetfulness of, or a poor return of kindness. In other words, ingratitude, as I was kind of alluding to at the end of the Bible study this morning earlier, ingratitude is a choice that you and I actually make that says, I'm not going to recognize the good in my life. I'm not going to recognize the kindness in my life. I'm going to choose to be ingrateful or ungrateful. You may recall a couple of stories in Scripture, and I believe they surround this idea of ingratitude. The first one would be the story of Cain and Abel. You might recall Cain and Abel, brothers, they bring their sacrifice to God. Abel's Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's was not In fact, knowing that Cain's sacrifice was given from an ungrateful heart, God actually rejects his offering. But in the end, here's the key. In the end, it was the lack of gratitude, a pride that had been wounded, Cain's pride had been wounded, and a misguided anger that led him to murder his brother Abel. And so, there it was. His pride was wounded, and he was ungrateful. God said, hey, what's the deal? If you'll just do right, it's going to be okay. But because he was ungrateful... Things spiraled out of control. Another quick example deals with a man who Scripture refers to as a man after God's own heart. You think about David. Here's a man who God made him king. He set him over a kingdom. He gave him a loving wife. He has health and wealth and riches and everything. And then here's the reality. The very moment that David's eyes shifted from what he had been given by God to what he wanted physically and personally, things got all out of whack. And you know the rest of the story. You see... He sinfully desired what he couldn't have. And his ingratitude in that moment caused him to slide down. To slide down that slippery slope of sin. Anybody ever slid down that slippery slope of sin? Only, only Aiden and I. Praise the Lord. I love Aiden's honesty. Only you and I. Only you and I have slid down that slippery slope of sin. But I'm reminded over and over, you know, as the preacher of yesteryear used to say, sin will take us further than we want to go. It'll cost us more than we want to pay. And in the end, it will, it will actually keep us longer than we want to stay. And I may have said those in opposite order, but you get the point. It takes us, it keeps us, and it costs us way more than we want to stay. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big philosophy guy. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a big philosophy guy. But even the world of philosophy agrees. And although I don't agree with everything, the Scottish philosopher from the, ni- from the 1700s, a guy by the name of David Hume, I don't agree with everything David Hume said. But here's what he said. He said, talking about bewaring of the barriers, he said, of all the crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, he said, the most horrid and the most unnatural crime is ingratitude, and I think he was right. I think he was right. The most unnatural and most horrid of all crimes is ingratitude. Flip over with me to James chapter 1, and we'll only be there for a second. It's over in the New Testament, after the book of the Hebrews. In James chapter 1. I think it's important to see what James says about... See, because here's what I think. I think ingratitude is something that comes out of a desire. You say, well, I've never thought about it. It's like, well, I don't sit around desiring to be ungrateful. But I think what happens, though, is we get our focus on things that really we have no business focusing on. And then what happens is when we're focused on those things, ungratefulness starts to seep in. And so notice what James says. James, in chapter number one, notice verse number 12 and following. He said, blessed is the man that endures trials or temptations or provings. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. He says, let no man say, let no man say that when he is tempted, that he's tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Verse 14, but every man is tempted or tried when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Here's the point. James is saying that as believers, you and I, if you want to be blessed, who wants to be blessed, amen? Anybody want to be blessed today? James says, hey, listen, you want to be blessed, he says, then you need to remain strong in the season of trials and testings. Young people, I got news for you. The world's going to test you. Senior saints, I got news for you. The world's going to test you as well. You think, well, I've already already figured things out. The moment you think you figured out something, sir, ma'am, you better get ready for a fall. We have to be on our knees each and every day. We have to be focused on the right things. Truly anything, anything at all, it doesn't matter what it is. See, because a lot of times we look at this verse and we think it's talking about sexual sin. No, it's not talking about sexual sin. It's talking about anything that draws us away from the main thing. Anything that draws our focus, our attention, or our faith away from the Lord must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. And when we don't, these barriers, here's what happens. These barriers creep up. And many times what we do is we just look at the barrier and we fail to deal with the test. We fail to deal with the temptation or the trial. Sadly, I put in my notes, we who live in the United States of America are the most best, some of the most blessed people on earth. We who live in the United States of America are some of the most blessed people on earth. And if you don't believe it, just come with me and take a missions trip. The moment you start thinking that you're not blessed... You just please, please, I beg you, call and say, Pastor, I want to go with you. I could take you some places not too far away from this building and let you realize how blessed you are. But here's the sad fact. We're some of the most blessed people in all the world, and yet as I look around, we're also some of the most unhappy people all around. It seems like all I hear all the time is complaining this and this and that and the other. Why? Why? I believe it stems from our lack of gratitude. We get to the point where we think we're owed something. We get to the point where we think we're worthy of something. And we get to the point where we think we're above the rest of the world. No, you're not above the rest of the world. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so we have to be careful with this idea. And so, uh, to be honest, there's so many barriers of gratitude. It would take forever to go through them all. But this morning... I only want to share two, and here's a fun thing for you. Both of them, I believe, are connected, and so I'm only going to share them as one. And the people of God said? I could have said I want to share 20 barriers of gratitude with you, and we'd be here a long time. But I'm only going to share one, because in a sense, the barriers that I'm going to talk to you about this morning stem from the barrier of original sin called pride. They also flow from other barriers, things such as anger or disappointment or entitlement, which is running rampant in our culture today. I could preach a whole message just on entitlement. They also are related to the sifting or stifling barrier of having a critical spirit. Now, if you have a critical spirit, that means that you're always looking for the negative, you're always looking for the bad in people or situations. And you know what that stems from? That stems from something I like to call stinking thinking. And no, I do not spell it correctly. It's stinking, right? Stinking, not stinking. Stinking thinking. Because we get critical. Anybody got a critical spirit? I pray you don't. But I'm guessing we have all been critical at times. We have all kind of puffed ourselves up and sat... Or for what we think we're in judgment of some other things. But these things are all connected. And, and truly there are a bunch of other barriers that we could go through. But today for the sake of time. I really and I actually believe these two that are connected. Are probably the biggest barriers that we see. Day in and day out to gratitude. And so I just think we would be wise to beware of these barriers. And they're the barriers of complaining. And grumbling. Complaining and grumbling. Let me ask a question. Let me get some real honest answers. Do we have any complainers or grumblers in this room? Yeah. Well, Pastor, I appreciate I appreciate everything, but you know, uh, I don't like these blue pews. God bless you. You'll soon be with Jesus, and so will I. That's not an offensive statement. That's a reality statement. Pastor, I'm really not a Dallas Cowboy fan and the sanctuary now looks like Dallas Cowboy colors. I thought you were a Redskin fan or a Washington football fan. I could care less. A football team's colors have nothing to do with decor in a room and they have nothing to do with Jesus. If we were sitting on wood planks, I wish and I would pray that you would be here to worship Jesus just as we gathered on plastic chairs who I heard complaining about plastic chairs. Listen, it's amazing. We used to have metal chairs everywhere. And I'll just a little fun fact for you. We used to have metal chairs everywhere. And then I heard complaining from the choir. So we got padded chairs for the choir back in the back. And this is a long time ago. It's been many years now, right? Uh, my little... Chukie is hurting. I'm on the metal chair for an hour and a half choir practice. And first world problems. First world problems. You come and go with me to Tanzania where they sit on dirt floors. You come and go with me to other places in the world where they don't even have wood uh, benches or anything like that. We get so focused on all kind of crazy things that we miss the mark. Time and time again. Why? Because we like to complain and we like to grumble. And I dare say everyone in this room and everyone watching, bless your hearts, I can't see your face, but I bet you you're a complainer or you've grumbled as well. We all do it. Notice here's what they mean. Complaining. (laughs) Complaining means to express. Pastor, I just want to express my dissatisfaction. Express dissatisfaction or annoyance about something. Hmm. Anybody ever done that? Here's another one. Grumbling. I love grumbling. Grumbling is nasty. But here it is. Grumbling is a mutter of discontent. You know what the word mutter means? It means a murmur. And you know what? We see it all through scripture. A mutter of discontent and speaks of the action or the fact of complaining in a bad way tempered way and here's the thing these two ugly cousins complaining and they're their cousins complaining and grumbling these two ugly cousins when they're not dealt with biblically they not only poison our hearts but they have a way of poisoning the church and then everybody i'm gonna go find me another church and you know what happens when you go to find another church you find out that they're worse at grumbling and complaining than the church you're at. So you go, oh, I'm coming back. I'm coming back because they grumble and complain worse. Let me tell you, there is no perfect church on this side. On this side. There will be a perfect church one day. One day, right? There's going to be a perfect church. Oh, we're going to sing a song that is reserved for us. Not even the angels can sing the song that we're going to sing. There'll be no more complaining. There'll be no more grumbling and mumbling and stumbling. It's going to be all hallelujahs. Holy is the name of the Lord God Almighty. What a day that's going to be. Man. But because we're talking about complaining and grumbling, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. (laughs) And while you're turning, you may remember over in Acts chapter 13, God, as you're turning to Exodus 15, in Exodus chapter 13, God is actually leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, verse 21 of Exodus 13 says that the Lord goes before them by day in a pillar of the cloud and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Why? So that they could travel day and night. Isn't God good? God says, I'm not only going to lead you, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you light to lead you. I'm going to do great things through you. Well, you get to Exodus chapter 14, God's leading them. And then here's what happens. Exodus 14, they're like, here comes Pharaoh and his army. They're scared out of their mind. And so verse number 10 of Exodus chapter 14, since you're there, you can look at it. It says that they actually cry out to God. And then the very next thing, as soon as they cry out to God, notice what Moses does in verse number 11. He says this. He says, because, or he, he, because they're complaining in verse number 11, here's what they say to Moses. They say, because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? So now they're convinced. They cry out to God. They don't even take time to wait and see what God says. In the very next verse, they start grumbling and complaining to Moses, and they say, were there no graves in Egypt that you have to take us out in the wilderness to die? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we told you? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone in Egypt? He said, let us alone. We'd rather stay here in bondage. We'd rather stay here as slaves and serve the Egyptians for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians and we should die in the wilderness. But notice in verse number 13 of chapter 14, here's what Moses says unto the people. He says, fear ye not. He said, stand still. In other words, it would have been better if he had just said, hush. Just fear ye not and stand still. Notice what he says. He says, and see the salvation of the Lord. Can I tell you, Battlefield, we need to just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. By the way, when you're standing still, you can also stand up for Jesus in the midst of a crooked, perverse world or nation. Oh, listen, he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, which he will show you today for the Egyptians who you have seen this day, you shall see them no more forever. See, they're looking back and they see Pharaoh coming. And he says, I got news for you. Just hold on for a second. Because you might see him today, but you're never going to see him again. Verse number 14, he says, the Lord shall fight for you. And he, notice what he says. And ye shall what? He said, you need to zip the lip. The Lord's going to fight for you, so just close your mouth. Because you are offensive to God in your grumbling and your complaining. Do you know that we are offensive to God when we grumble and we complain? You fast forward in the story, the Lord brings the children, you know the story, the Lord brings the children through the Red Sea on the other side and they turn around and guess what happens? The Pharaoh and and his Egyptian army, uh, they're literally overthrown in the midst of the sea and I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good sign that the Lord is dealing and working on behalf of the children of Israel. Would you not say that as you're walking through, Moses He takes the the staff that's in his hand, and he touches the water, and the water goes up as a wall. If you've never been to Sight and Sound, they do a great job of trying to depict this. The water goes up as a wall, and these people, they walk through the Red Sea as on dry ground. I don't know about you, I kind of feel like it was like an aquarium. Like they walk, and they see the wall, and there's still fish and sharks and everything swimming right there, and they're like, ooh. And they walk straight through. And when they get to the other side, they turn around, they look back, and here comes Pharaoh. Get him! Get him! Get him! Never to see him again. I'd say it's a pretty good sign that God's on your side. Here's your sign, but how big a sign do we need to keep us from grumbling or complaining? Well, you would have thought that would have done it. You would have thought, hey, Man, it's on, man, smooth sailing from here on out. Man, these, these people are going to be committed to God. Well, no, that's not what it place. Look at verse number, or chapter 15. Immediately, they begin to sing. In chapter 15, in verse number one, Moses and the children of Israel. By the way, it's probably just the men at this point in verse number one. And I'll explain that here in just a second. But probably just the men of Israel have gathered and they're singing unto the Lord. And notice verse one says, they sing to the Lord because he had triumphed gloriously. And so they're giving God the glory. They're excited. They've just come through the Red Sea. Look at verse number two. It says, they sang, uh, they, they sing this song. They say, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He's my God. Look at verse three. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Drop down to verse number six. It says, thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Drop down to verse number 11. Here it is, they ask. They say, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Little g. Who is like thee? And notice what they say about him. They say, Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people, which thou hast redeemed or brought back. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. And then drop down to verse number 18. Very simply, they say, the Lord shall reign for how long? Closed case, right? Done and done. God is good. They're singing this great song of victory. They're singing this song of praise. In fact, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, you see that Linda Snow takes her tambourine, and she gathers, oh, I'm sorry. It says, Miriam. It says, Miriam takes her tambourine. By the way, I guess if she took her tambourine, it's okay to play the tambourine in God's house. Uh, Brother, we will have no tambourine playing in this place. Uh, Brother, you've gone off the rails. I don't think Miriam had gone off the rails. Because she grabs her tambourine. And guess what she does, ladies? The reason I suggested that it was all men at the beginning is because here in verse number 20, Miriam grabs her tambourine. She gathers the all-lady choir. And she gets them together. And the Bible says all the ladies, they got tambourines too. I don't know what the deal is. They had a mad rush on sale on tambourines. Everybody's got a tambourine. And they all playing their tambourines and singing. And you know what Miriam says, why they're supposed to sing? In verse number 20, notice, she says, or verse 21, or she says, watch this. She says, so uh, uh, verse 21, Miriam answered, said, Sing ye unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. She's saying exactly what Moses said in verse number one. So now you got the men, they're all riled up. The women are dancing, they're riled up. By the way, this is not a message on dancing. But there it is, you see it in Scripture. I don't know what you do with Scripture except for accept it. So they're singing, right? Everything's great. Do me a favor, look at verse 22. (laughs) They literally just stopped the music, Taylor. They just put the guitar and the tambourines down. And look at verse 22. You see, after this three-day journey into the wilderness, the very last portion of verse 22 says, And they found... Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. These people who in Exodus chapter 14 were grumbling and mumbling and stumbling who sang a song of victory in fact verse 18 says the lord the lord shall reign forever and ever i don't know about you but when you say forever and ever that kind of means forever and ever not till verse 22 but this is what takes place in verse 22 they have no water and so they come to this place called Mara but they couldn't drink of the water. Notice, they couldn't drink of the water because it's bitter. Inevitably, Evidently, this water had a salty or a disagreeable taste to it. It'd be like going to the ocean and probably even worse than this and picking up that salt water and drinking it. Uh, Research and history tell us that this water probably had high concentrations of metal and sodium and other contaminants in it. In fact, if you do a Excuse me, if you do a study of it, this water would be considered brackish. That's what they would consider the water that's filled with this high concentration of metal and sodium and other contaminants. They call it brackish water. And so due to the water situation, the complaining and grumbling begins again. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, and the people murmured against who? So now it's Moses' problem. Again. Again. It's not God's problem, it's Moses' problem. So they grumble against Moses saying, what should we drink? In verse 25, notice verse 25. The Lord shows Moses a tree. He actually provides a tree and he tells Moses, he said, hey, listen, when you put the tree in the water, it's going to turn the water sweet. Wow. What a wonderful God we serve. Moses doesn't even say anything. God just says, hey, there's a tree, put it in the water. The water that's bitter is going to be turned sweet. Afterwards, what's, what's amazing is if you look down, drop down, it says, and they came to Elam. And so they, they travel a little bit further. They come to Elam where there were 12 wells. Now watch this, 12 wells and 70 palm trees waiting for them, the children of Israel, to set up a KOA campground. <laughs> Hold on. Pay attention to scripture. Twelve wells. Why do you think twelve? One for every tribe. God was doing for them exactly what he does for us. He was showing goodness and mercy and love and protection and provision. Even in the midst of their grumbling and complaining, he shows them what a great God he is. He brings them. He says, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm going to lead you over here. Pillar of cloud. fire by nine. I'm going to... Lead you over here to Elam. And over here, what you guys don't know, you're complaining about the bitter water at Mar. Over here at Elam, I got 12 wells set up for you. One for every tribe. And by the way, it's a nice little place. It's like a little resort here in the wilderness. Got 70 palm trees. Why do you think 70 palm trees? One for every elder. What a good God. What a good God. As we get into chapter 16, look at chapter 16. The children of Israel are at it again. At this point, the rations that they had, remember they had taken rations when they left Egypt, and so they're about a month plus in, and the rations have run out. And look at verse number 2 and 3, and the Bible says the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against here. We go again against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we would have died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh plots, pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye, notice that phrase, for ye, not God, you, Moses, you, Aaron, for you have brought us forth in the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. Hold on a second, guys. I don't know if you're seeing the picture here. God brings them through. He brings them out. Gives them all kind of rations. They take of the spoil of Egypt. They go. He provides for the whole trip. He leads them because he's gonna do some big things. They could have gone a shorter direction if you read scripture, but he leads them through the wilderness by the Red Sea. He's gonna do big things. He takes care of Pharaoh and his army. <laughs> They're they're gone, overthrown in the midst of the Red Sea. He brings them through. They find the bitter water. He turns it sweet. That's not good enough. He brings them to Elam. He gives them 12 wells and 70 palm trees. He keeps leading them in the wilderness. Now they're after Moses and they say this in the last verse here, in verse number 3, for ye, not God, but ye have brought us forth in the wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger. What we can see is that the complaining and grumbling spread like wildfire through the whole congregation. Because verse 2 says the whole congregation. So here's what happens. If you don't think it happens, I got news for you, it does happen. You ever, you ever been on a youth trip before? Or you ever been on a trip where you play this game, uh, Phone? What, what's the name, Travis? What's the name of that game? Telephone. Telephone. I'm going to start a story over here with Linda. And you know it's going to be changed by the time I get done telling Linda. She's going to tell it differently to Spain. And so we're going to tell the story, and then Spain, you're going to tell it. And we're going to go on, 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 we're going to go on. And then by the time it gets over here, I guarantee you the story's different. The same thing is true when we grumble and we complain. You have no idea what's going on. Hold on a second. Oh, Jim, Jim, I needed to tell you something. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. You call, you call, you call Corey. Tell Corey. Corey, Cory, Corey will tell Pam. Pam, you tell Sergei. Sergei, you tell Chris. Chris, you tell. Right, and we're just going to spread it all around. Chapter sixteen says the whole congregation. So it might have started with just a few. The complaining and grumbling has a way of spreading. And by the way, if you've not done a research in history, if you tell a lie loud enough, long enough, and strong enough, people begin to believe it. Right. Just ask Joseph Goebbels, the minister of uh, propaganda for Adolf Hitler. But notice... This time in verse 4. I love this. Look at verse 4 of chapter 16. Moses doesn't say a word. He doesn't have to say a word. God already knows. By the way, if you're a complainer or a grumbler, God knows. He knows. I don't need to know. I just pray that you stop grumbling and complaining. Just like if I'm a grumbler or complaining, I'd ask you to pray that I'd stop grumbling or complaining, right? That's what we would do. We pray for one another. Lift one another up. But notice what verse 4. See, God already knows they're complaining about hunger. So notice This is a good God, guys. I don't know if you've not recognized the goodness of God, but in verse number four, here's what God says. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. I'm going to actually rain bread from heaven for you. Even though these people are ungrateful, even though these people continue to murmur, even though these people continue to complain, I'm going to deal kindly and I'm going to deal bountifully with all of them. In verse number eight, Moses reminds. Look at verse number eight in chapter sixteen. In verse number eight of chapter sixteen, Moses reminds the people of that they're ingratitude, they're grumbling, and they're complaining. He says, "It's not against Aaron and I; it's against the Lord." He says, your grumbling and complaining is against the Lord. And the same is true with you and I, folks. When you grumble or complain, you might think you're directing it towards your spouse, your children, your co-worker, or your boss. Or you might think you're directing it towards some government official. No, you're actually grumbling and complaining is towards God. Because what you're saying is, God, I don't accept your perfect will for my life. I know you're sovereign, but I'm not up with your sovereignty today. And so, God, I'm going to complain a little bit about it. That's where it gets off track. See, we start to think that we're justified in our our complaining and grumbling. And see, what happens is not only do we complain this way, we complain this way. And the psalmist said, Asap said in Psalm 77 in verse number 3, he said, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Paul encouraged the church at Philippi. Remember, he's talking about humility and and, uh, looking out for the needs of others better than our own needs. When you get down to verse number 14, Paul tells the church at Philippi, he said, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights to the world. See, there's plenty of Scripture to encourage us not to be caught up in this grumbling or complaining. But if we look back in Exodus, what you see is the complaining just continues and continues and continues. And look at chapter 17. In chapter 17, look at verse number 7. Because by the time we get to chapter 17 and verse 7, we learn that the actual children of Israel, even after all that God had done, after all that He had provided, we actually learn that they tempted the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Hold on a second. Is the Lord among us or not? Who do you think raised up the Red Sea like a wall? Who do you think took care of Pharaoh? Who do you think caused that bitter water to turn sweet? Who do you think decided to rain bread from heaven to fill your bellies? Who do we think did all these things? And yet... Let's be honest, this is exactly what we do sometimes. We get so off track when these barriers of complaining and grumbling take hold. Guys, I could find something to complain about today if I wanted to. Anybody else? You can find something to complain about all the time. Or you can take time to give thanks to God in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You see, this barrier of gratitude proceeds from an ungrateful heart, a heart that's not satisfied, it's not content with God's plan or God's blessings. And by the and by the time we get over, flip over a few pages. It's a page 107 in my Bible. 107. Turn over a few pages to Numbers chapter 11. Just a few more pages. By the time we get to Numbers chapter 11, the Lord has continued to provide. By the way, by the time you get to Numbers 11, these people have not missed one meal. He's actually sent quail. He's actually sent bread. He's actually given them water time and time again. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible. But the complaining has gotten to the point. By the time you get to Numbers 11, you know, it's, it's almost as if God said enough is enough. Have you ever, Mom, Dad, have you ever said enough is enough? With your kids? Kids, have you ever said enough is enough with your parents? Right? It's almost as if God said enough is enough. Look at Numbers chapter 11 in verse 1. Because he's so displeased when he hears their complaining and mumbling. He's so displeased that his anger is kindled against them. And notice it says at the last part of the verse. Until the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Translation? Translation? People died. God takes this idea of complaining and grumbling pretty serious. It says, the outer portion of the camp. So the only thing that my little finite mind can come to a conclusion is that the grumbling started with the people who were at the edge of the camp. And so God says, listen, it's time to show them what I think about this grumbling and about this complaining. Sadly, we could read on about the ungratefulness of God's children time and time again. But I put in my notes, I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, that every one of us in this room, every one of us online could pull from our own stories from our own stories of ingratitude, out of the archives of our heart and mind. I'm guessing we could pull a story or two from a time when we complained to God or maybe something else or someone else about something that really didn't mount to be a hill of beans, but we complained. Why? Because as Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a woman thinketh in her heart, so is she. As a young man or a young woman thinketh in their hearts, so are they. It's so incredibly important that the wise man tells us a few chapters earlier. He tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, in verse number 23, to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And by the time verse chapter 14 rolls around, it's amazing. The people had been so overwhelmed with grumbling and complaining that it became a... Watch this word. It became a habit. It becomes a habit. If we don't deal with the barrier of complaining or grumbling, here's what happens. We'll grumble and complain until we get our way, and then we'll say, to God be the glory, great things he had done. And then next week when we don't get our way, we grumble and complain again, until we get our way. And then we say, oh, praise the name of Jesus. You see, it had become a repetitive habit with the children of Israel. And you see it all through the Old Testament. In fact, I was, I was talking to Colby about this. I was like, yeah, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. And we're going to look at some verses. And he's like, he's like uh, you could probably just read the whole Old Testament. Because it just continued over and over And over again, after all that the Lord had brought them through. Now make that personal. After all the Lord has brought me through. After all the Lord has brought us through and you through. Make it personal. You know what the children of Israel, they were convinced that they needed to go back to Egypt. They were convinced they needed to go back to slavery and bondage. They were thinking, man, it'd be better if we were back here. In fact, that's what it says in Numbers chapter 14, which is crazy to me. Think about this. God has already sent and told them to go in to spy the land. By the way, he's already told them to go in and possess their possessions. But they're a little fearful, so they're like, okay, choose a couple from each tribe, send them on in. So here they come. They come out, 12 12 uh, spies, they go in and you know the rest of the story. Caleb and Joshua are the only ones that come out with a good report. Everybody else comes out and says, man, it's great, but. Watch this. Chapter 14 and verse number one, and I didn't ask them to show it, so I'm just going to read it. It says, and all the congregation lift up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured, against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation everybody's involved the whole congregation said to them would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God that we had died in this wilderness and wherefore verse 3 hath the Lord brought us unto the land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey were it not better for us to return to Egypt Verse 4, and they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. The complaining had gotten so out of whack, they were ready to go back to the misery they left behind. As believers, can I tell you, you don't want to go back to misery. Remember, misery loves company and you don't want to be its company. You don't want to go back to the land of the miserable. Stay away from that. And the way to stay away from it is to deal with this barrier of ingratitude. What's crazy to me is they're standing at the doorway of the promised land. And yet because this barrier is afflicting them, they actually believe the devil's lie. And that's what happens. When we get caught up in complaining and grumbling, you know what we're saying? We're saying we believe the devil more than we believe the Lord. I believe the devil, I believe that lying devil, that murderous devil, more than I believe the Lord. Folks, when the barriers of gratitude are not dealt with, they inevitably draw us away from trusting God, and they draw us away from worshiping God. Sadly, there are many people who have grumbled themselves right out of regular worship and right out of a local New Testament church, and we all know some. We all know some. Grumbling and complaining about things that don't amount to a hill of beans. It was the Apostle Paul who said it twice. He said it twice, and I think he says it twice repetitively on purpose. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Folks, Paul's in prison at this point. He's in prison, but here's what he knows. He knows that grumbling and complaining has no place in the life of a believer. In fact, he knew this so much so that when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice what he says in verse number 6. He says these words. He said, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He's talking about The children of Israel in the Old Testament, he's talking about this time. And after he says this in verse 6, he begins to list some of the things that they lusted after. And then when he gets to verse number 10, surprise, surprise, here's what he says. Look, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. And notice what he says happened to them. He says, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Notice verse twelve. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Can you imagine? Paul says these people were destroyed by the devil because they were grumbling and complaining. He says we have to beware of this barrier to gratitude. We have to remind ourselves each and every day that God is good, God is great, and he is rightly to be praised. And when we give way to the devil, here's the reality, that's exactly what we start doing. We start grumbling and we start complaining, but here's, you cannot rightly love God. Listen, you cannot rightly love God and grumble and complain about him at the same time. You can't rightly, don't tell me you love God and then you're going around complaining and grumbling about God. It just doesn't work that way. And here's another thing. Don't tell me you love me or anybody else if you're going around grumbling and complaining about them. You ain't loving nobody if you're grumbling and complaining about them. If you're going to love somebody, you have to be like Jesus. You have to just continue to love them. You know what? I learned a long time ago we're to love the sinner. Hello? We're to love the sinner, hate the sin. Where would we be if somebody hadn't loved us? Where would you be if somebody hadn't shared the word of the Lord with you? Amen? We have to love people. We have to love them right where they are. And Notice the outcome. And I'm going to read this outcome and then we'll pray. We'll be done. Look at chapter 14 of Numbers. Here's the outcome in just this one passage. This is just this one passage. Remember, God has had it up to here with the complaining and the grumbling. And in Numbers chapter 14, notice what takes place here beginning in verse number 26. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings or complaining of the children of Israel which they complain and murmur against me. Say unto them, he says, here's what you tell them. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered with you, according to the whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning that which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Verse 31, But your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in. He's saying they're going to come and enjoy the promised land. He said, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years And they will bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. In other words, the children were going to have to pay for the murmurings and the complaining and the grumbling of the parents. And notice what he says in verse 34. After the number of days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation. They that are gathered together against me in this wilderness, they shall be consumed and there they shall die. In verse 36, and the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against me. Stop for a second. Talking about the ten men that came out. And because they decided amongst themselves to be ungrateful, to be fearful. And you can just connect them all. These barriers of gratitude, they started voicing them. And because, notice what God says, because, because they caused Look at verse 36, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. He says they're going to die. And guess what? Verse 37, even those men that did bring up the evil report of the land died by the plague before the Lord right then. They died. This barrier of gratitude is so important because it's connected to pride. It's connected to anger and discontent and entitlement. It's connected to critical spirits. It's connected all the way around because, see, if you operate out of a position of pride, you start to complain. If you operate out of a critical spirit, you start to grumble, mumble, and complain. If you operate out of a position of anger or discontent, you're not content with God's plan. You're not content with all these things. They all kind of come back to this idea of complaining and, gr- and grumbling. and why wouldn't it? Because the Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, which is why the Apostle Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 18, in everything, in everything give thanks, right? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. It won't be easy. It won't be easy sometimes. But in every season that we go through, whether we're on the mountaintop or we're in the valley, whether the Lord is causing us to lie down beside the still waters, whether he's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies, it doesn't matter. He is our shepherd and we can give him the praise and the glory, and we can give Him the thanks that He so richly deserves. Beware the barriers. Beware the barriers because they're out to get you. And they're out to get me. We have to be grateful. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy. And God, as Your Word has been declared and preached today, God, I pray it's fallen upon the good soil of hearts. But Lord, I would assume that there are those in this room, those who are watching, who if they're honest with you and honest with themselves, they might say they're struggling with this barrier that we've discussed today. You see, sometimes, Lord, your spirit reveals it even in a look, even in the language of the body. So, Lord, I pray that each person in this room, each person watching, that they would be willing to not only recognize if they struggle with this barrier, but they would repent of this barrier. They would call upon the name of the Lord and God uh, asked for wisdom from above. They'd be reminded that they have been crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. And as people who have been crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies, it's pretty difficult to find time to complain and grumble if we're focused on the things that matter most. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to those who are struggling today. I pray that you would remind them of your love and your goodness to them. Pray that you would give them the wherewithal, not only just today, but each and every day, to deal with this issue of complaining and grumbling that stems from so many other fatal sins in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that You would have Your will and way. Lord, I pray that in the coming days, as everything in this world seems to wax worse, I I pray that we as believers would be strengthened in the spirit of our mind. God, that we would each and every day buy up the opportunity to walk in the whole armor of God understanding that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but God that our enemy is spiritual our enemy is wicked our enemy is powerful and we are no match for that enemy without Christ so Lord I pray that you would strengthen us I pray that you would remind us each and every day. And God, I pray that we would be rejoicing in your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, that they would recognize that really the greatest need of all is that relationship with God through Jesus. and That they would call upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin right now, right where they're at that they would enter into the greatest relationship of all. Lord, I thank you for your word that reminds us of this. God, I thank you for the fact that your word is true and that your word endures forever, just as your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting, your word endures forever as well. Lord, I pray that during this quiet time of invitation, as we open up the altars, God, that we would be a people That would desire to pour out our heart to you in response to your word. God, as we open up the altar, I pray that we would not be embarrassed of its place, but that we would come acknowledging your greatness and your ability in our life to overcome this and any other barrier that we may be struggling with. Lord, I love you and I thank you. I thank you for how you've protected us. I thank you for how you've provided for us. I thank you for loving us. God, I thank you for bringing us here today that we could sing about your goodness and we could sing about your worthiness. God, I thank you for allowing us to open up your word. Thank you for giving us your word that we might know what pleases you and what displeases you so that we might make correction according to your will, according to your word, and according to your way. Lord, we love you and we praise you for all that you'll do in the next moment of time. And we praise you and ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. And for his sake we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.